This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Today on CityCast Boise, it's been a few months since Brian Koberger was arrested for the alleged murder of four University of Idaho students. What do we know about the case against him and what's still a mystery? KTVB's Alexandra Duggan is here to give us the latest, including details on the planned demolition of the house where the tragedy occurred. It's Tuesday, March 21st. I'm Emma Arnold, and this is what Boise's talking about. So to quickly recap, former Washington State University student Brian Koverger was arrested right before New Year's in the murder of four University of Idaho students last fall. He was tracked down to Pennsylvania at his parents' house. What's the latest on his trial and when is it supposed to start? So there's no trial date yet. um, And that could be honestly years from now. We have no idea. Just he waived his right to a speedy preliminary hearing. So that's why it seems like it's taking forever, because his next hearing is in June. And that preliminary hearing is supposed to be a probable cause hearing, which is standard. And in a probable cause hearing, police might testify, um, witnesses could testify. And basically, it could be what we know from the affidavit or more information that we don't know. So that's why the probable cause hearing is really important, because you can see... um, all the reasons that police have for the arrest and um, the charges. And then also um, it kind of gives some backstory, like we might be able to learn motive, we might not, um, but there will probably be more info released on that hearing, which is June 26th. This story really captured the attention of the world with, you know, poor Moscow being the center of that universe. Do you have any sense of what the prosecutor will be dealing with when it comes to selecting an impartial jury? Yeah, see, that's kind of the question. Um, Again, the trial will probably be a ways away, but I mean, Latah County is small. Moscow is small. And even in like, for example, Lori Vallow's trial, which is happening next month, they moved it to Boise because there was so much coverage and so much attention on this case in that small community where she was living. And You know, we don't know what the prosecutors are thinking in this case, but that courthouse is not big at all. So it could also be very messy. Um, And I think like the people I've talked to are really hoping that the trial isn't there because they just don't want that media frenzy again. So it sounds like a change of venue could be a real possibility then. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I have to ask this since, you know, we're seeing this firing squad bill be pushed through very quickly. Uh, If convicted, could he face the death penalty? So he could, but we don't know if prosecutors will seek that yet because the death penalty is so expensive. It's a long process. It could take years to even figure out. And, you know, like I said before, Leyta County is small and it would be at the expense of that county. And so it would really be up to them if they want to seek the death penalty or not. And um, in death penalty cases, you also have to prove aggravating circumstances, which means you have to prove that 
this crime was more malicious, more severe, more intentional, more like there's just circumstances that add to the crime itself that make it more heinous. And then prosecutors have to prove that in order to be able to have the death penalty on the table. And so um, it really is up in the air at this point. But I know a lot of people have, you know, differing thoughts about it. You mentioned motive earlier. Um, Do we have any sense of what that could be? We don't. Um, I know a lot of people have speculated what it was, but a lot of the time police and prosecutors keep that really close because it helps their investigation. I mean, they're still investigating. It's not over just because they charged him. But they use motive to their advantage when they're interrogating someone or in their case because motive is the only thing that the person who committed the crime knows. Nobody else knows why. So they keep that close because that's something that they want to use against that person if they decide to try them. So those weeks after the murders of Zanna, Kaylee, Ethan, and Maddie, it was so tough for the community, in part because we didn't know what the police were doing to find a suspect. But then they arrested Brian Koberger. What do we now know about the evidence investigators got through the search warrants? Just recently, the court decided to seal and redact a lot of the warrants that happened in the months um, after the murders and also just recently. Um, And those were all uploaded. So that's when we were able to see them um, on court websites. But they're not, like, new warrants. They're, I mean, I think the newest one I saw was just from last month. But they all are just, like, phone records and bank statements and, you know, social media stuff. And what's really interesting is these all came after Koberger's arrest, which means, like, you know, they they basically found him, you know, through the, the car that he was allegedly driving that day. And then, you know, through what they said was DNA at the home and things like that. But then, you know, all these warrants coming afterwards, it seems backwards, but there's a lot of search warrants, but they're able to narrow down what they're looking for within those search warrants because they now have their suspect. Like, you, it's really hard to do it the other way around. So now that they know that they have someone that they believe did this they can look through bank records, they can look through phones, they can look through, you know, social media and look for his name or look for anything related to him. And that will build their case. Whereas, you know, before, how are they supposed to know going through their phones, they were looking for the name Brian Koberger, like they would have no idea. All these search warrants show kind of how they're building their case, essentially. And a lot of these warrants are really interesting just because I noticed a lot of them were for the victims. So I think that, you know, that could help them find a motive. Um, One search warrant was for uh, their Wi-Fi company. And so, and we know that the parents have said that they believe he had been so close to the house at multiple times that he touched their Wi-Fi. So they're they're really digging into data, which is really helpful, I think. So we don't know a ton, but it's fair to say that the information police got through these warrants led them to Koberger. I would say it's helping them build their case against him. But something that did stand out to me was that they're looking to see where the knife that was used in the crime was purchased from. So they're looking at Amazon, they're looking at Walmart, they're looking at eBay, they're looking even the K-Bar knife company itself, Blue Ridge Knives. They're looking at all these companies and all these like places where 
that knife could have been ordered from. And they're tracking, they're most likely tracking, you know, his accounts and tracking his name through that. And what's also interesting is like they submitted a warrant for UPS truck surveillance, which I thought was interesting just because the they're looking for any UPS trucks in the area at the time with surveillance on their um, their trucks, which, you know, I thought that maybe they had all the surveillance they needed with, you know, cameras and I've, all the statements coming out around that time. But it seems like they're really, really digging into having a solid, solid timeline and a solid case because it would be so hard to not have a case so solid if, you know, four students' lives um, and deaths were at stake here. Like, there's obviously they're fighting for justice for them. So they want to have a strong case. Yeah, there's a re- that list of warrants is very long to a bunch of different companies. And we'll link to that to your story on that in the show notes. So if people want more info. But another new thing you just reported on uh, was what it took to get Koberger to Idaho to be booked in Lataw County Jail. Yeah, so I mean, we know that he was flown on a private plane. And I also, when we were in Moscow at the time, broke the story of which plane he was on. And we could we could figure that out from flight tracking purposes. Um, and it was a private Pennsylvania police, state police plane. Pretty small from my understanding. Um, it took a couple times to like refuel. So... It cost about $14,000 for that um, transport. And that's just, you know, fuel costs, paying the pilot, probably paying the police that have to sit on the plane with him. Um, And, you know, an ISP, Idaho State Police spokesperson said that they don't expect to, like, get a bill or anything. Like, they, they think that Pennsylvania State Police, you know, did this on their own, which seems like pretty good teamwork, in my opinion. And I'm sure that Pennsylvania State Police wants the same justice as, you know, we all do. So I think that they were pretty willing to to do that. But from my understanding, ISP hasn't gotten like a bill or anything for the flight cost. But yeah, it took, took all day to get him back to Pullman and then to, booked into the jail. And I'm sure that, you know, the expenses will rack up over time. So you you went to U of I and you graduated a couple of years ago and you know Moscow really well. How is the community doing today? So I, I think they're healing. I can't you know speak for them, but um, the owner of the corner club, Mark, he told me today that you know their things seem quiet. The whole chaos of the media frenzy down there has faded, and I know that it's probably helpful with the students not having reporters and other people you know, completely harass them on their way to class. Um, And then obviously, like, U of I has provided a lot of really good resources for the students there. And they've acquired additional funding for what happened. Um, I know that they spent over a million dollars in security when this happened. And then um, UI President Scott Green urged the budget committee in the legislature um, for more money designed to cover costs stemming from the murders. Um, and they would cover, you know, just like counseling services and in- increased police presence. So I think that, you know, they're doing their best to to really like be there for the students. So Nancy Grace didn't rent a house and set up shop, sounds like. Uh, 
things calm down a bit. I'm glad to hear. Nancy Grace is not there anymore. So <laughs> that, that small favor for the community, at least. Um, I The house where the four students were murdered is going to be demolished. Is that right? Yep. So it'll be demolished. It was given to the university by the owner. Um, and the university says it's going to be demolished because they don't want it to turn into like a tourist attraction and sensationalize the crime scene at all, which honestly makes sense because um, I also heard from the Corner Club bar owner that a guy had shown up at his bar and he was talking about how he wanted to go visit it and how he thought it was cool. And like, he was like, well, we're only five minutes from there. So I'm going to go take pictures or something like that. And it's, it's really disturbing for, you know, all the students and the people that live there. Obviously it's like, this isn't a tourist attraction. This is where a horrible crime happened. And we understand the fascination uh, with that, but it's also not the right thing to do. And so they're going to, plan a healing garden for the victims um and they don't know where that garden will be yet they haven't disclosed the location of it but um hopefully once the house is demolished it will you know it won't it'll be nothing and then people can turn to the healing garden for to further like memorialize uh maddie kaylee uh, zana and ethan so i think that that's a good step yeah, I think that that's a really, really good idea. Um, anything else you want to add as a reporter who's followed this case super closely from the beginning? So I just, I also feel like some of the national news coverage still over this is just really sensationalizing the whole situation. Like, for example, I saw something yesterday that talked about how the suspect is acting in jail and like, you know, let's unpack it, let's discuss it. But it's really like, it it's only really for views. It's not really to further anything. And it's really frustrating to see something like that because it's, it's not helping. And I, I know that you have talked about this before and we've all talked about it before, but, it, but it's still happening. And so if anyone can do anything to at least stay away from, you know, the sensationalism of it and like the speculation of it um, coming from national news organizations that are just feeding it would really be helpful in the long run, I think. Well, Alex, we appreciate you covering this story so thoroughly and with so much compassion over the last few months. And uh, thanks so much for coming back on CityCast. Yeah, thank you. One more thing before we sign off. The only hospital in Sandpoint will no longer be delivering babies. In a press release, Bonner General Health cited the loss of physicians who are leaving the state because of, quote, Idaho's legal and political climate as reasons for the decision. According to the Idaho Capital Sun, under Idaho's current ban on abortions, doctors can be charged with a felony and face civil litigation, as well as have their medical license revoked for providing care. That's all for today here on CityCast Boise. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend? Leave us a review and subscribe to our Hey Boise newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with an extremely Boise love story. Bye! Bye!